Good morning, Rock Point. How you doing? It's always good to be here. This is Luke 15, starting at the 11th verse. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered together, joined, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and now he's found and they begin to make merry. Hey, there was a guy one time, a friend of mine, who grew up in the church, and he, uh, his parents were very involved. Matter of fact, his dad was a pastor, and, uh, but he just kind of had a rebellious spirit. When he got later on in high school, he uh, began to do drugs, alcohol, and then he left and just spiraled down even further, got into harder drugs. Uh, during that time, he, uh, he got married, even had a child, but uh, just started going in one rehab after another, knowing how to circumvent the situation, never surrendering to God, sometimes crying out for help, but never coming to that place of complete surrender. Uh, as a matter of fact, his parents tough loved him because he, he was stealing from his parents and taking stuff, taking TV, DV, DVR player, remember those, DVR, DVD players, and uh, sold them. And so the parents called the police, had him put in prison this on several times. And finally, uh, his wife, who uh, after having him leave months at a time and just disappear, said, enough. And everybody said, enough. And so he realized he was losing everything. So he went back uh, to one of the gentlemen, one of the guys that he respected who had, had a rehab program, and that guy started to meet with him individually. And then that guy moved to uh, Weatherford, Texas, uh, when Katrina happened. And uh, my friend ended up joining him. Uh, the man I'm talking to you about is Lewis Harrell, the guy who just read the scripture. He now leads this ministry. Uh, where over, literally over hundreds of men have been through this process. Uh, there's 62 men that are in the program right now as we speak. And you see many of them here today. 
and God is making a difference in our city and in our in our county and our our state through this great ministry, through what God's doing. But you know what it was started by? A prodigal. A prodigal son. That story that you just read, that's part of his story. And I think God in His infinite mercy, He knew, hey, this just isn't a story that's going to happen one time. This is a story that repeats itself. And many of you know that story. And some of you might be saying, well, I don't have a prodigal son or daughter. You might be the prodigal. You know what prodigal means? One who wastes their life. Maybe you're here today and you're wasting your life. Oh, you, you go to church, you take on the label Christian, but that's the end of it. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your time. God has given you skills and talents and ability, and you're not doing anything with them. You're prodigal. Maybe spiritually, you're just, you just don't care. You're just flat, and you don't care, and you're not trying to grow, and you're kind of away from God. You're a prodigal. Some of us have friends like that. Some of us have children like that. Some of us have uh, people in our neighborhood. Some of us have brothers and sisters. And some of us have parents. They're prodigals. I've got a couple of friends that are here today that their parents are prodigals right now. One who is wasting their life. One who has rejected God or maybe even hasn't verbally rejected but rejecting with his life. And so when I talk about prodigals, don't just get stuck and say, well, that's not me. I don't have a prodigal child. Well, your child may just not be spiritually interested at this point. So what I'm going to share with you, I want to share some very practical things. Usually we try to walk through uh, scriptures methodically, but this is a parable, and we're going to be looking at it for the next several weeks. And so I encourage you to be reading through Luke 15. And uh, Colonel Lewis just read it. And so I want us to glean a few things. First of all, I want to give you a couple of prayers to pray for prodigals. These are great prayers for you to pray, and they're straight out of Scripture. And the first prayer is this from Psalms chapter 73, beginning with verse 21. And this is a great prayer to pray. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom, and I, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Then there's Lamentations 2.19. Great prayer. Arise, cry out in the night. Literally, it means to wail. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to Him for the lives of your children who faint of hunger and are at the head of the street. Those are great prayers that I encourage you to consider. At the end of this service, this little white mark right here, there's a prodigal in your life that you're praying for. If you want to write their name, you can put it up on the glass. You, you probably saw uh, a lot of names already up there. And if you need to put a nickname or initials or whatever you want to do, you can do that, However, whatever you're most comfortable. But when we walk through there as a staff, we're going to pray. When the elders walk through, we're going to pray. And, and I ask you, the church body, as you pray, uh, we want that to just be a memorial in the sense to God of our prayers. It, we want to, it to be a, uh, a picture of, of what we're praying, what we're asking God to do. So as we consider that, uh, I want to give you some thoughts and some uh, practical things you can do for prodigals. Again, we all have prodigals in our life, whether they're neighbors, whether they're relatives, whether they're friends who have children, whether they're our friends. And what do we do when we have prodigals? We're going to have some great testimonies here in a moment, but let me just run through these, and I have 
copies of this out at the welcome desk if you want it. But types, excuse me, but prayers, first of all, for a prodigal. As you pray, you want to make sure you don't do the following. Here are things we don't want to do. Number one, be too embarrassed to ask for prayer and support. Hey, don't be too embarrassed. I've talked to parents before. We don't want anybody to know. Who do you have praying for you? Who do you have counting? Nobody. We don't want anybody to know this. Hey, I know that's tough, but can I tell you, you need counsel. You need emotional support. You need prayer support. You're going to have to get over that piece for you to heal and for your child to heal or for that loved one. Number two, don't blame yourself. You may have made mistakes raising your children or relating to whoever the prodigal is in your life. You may have, but it's time to move on. It's time to say, hey, God, I'm handing them you. I'm giving them to you, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm not going to live in a blame and a guilt that basically paralyzes me and keeps me from doing anything. Don't forget the rest of your family. I've seen this happen time and time again. You've got one person in your family that's struggling. It's all the tension goes there. Remember, you've got, a sp- others, you've got a spouse, you've got other children, there are other people in your family. Don't forget them. Don't enable. We'll talk about that. You'll hear more of that. Don't enable. Don't continue to foster the situation. And uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but here's the short answer. Hey, sometimes God has broken them and put them in that position because that's the only time they're going to cry out and say, God, whatever you want. Lewis was saying, he said, hey, I had no money, had no home. I was losing everything, you know, couldn't go back home, didn't have that option, been in prison. But when my wife told me she was gone and she was not coming back, and she was taking my little girl with her, he said, I finally, that finally hit me like a load of bricks. Don't quit worshiping. Don't quit serving. Don't quit sharing. Don't quit praying. You go, but I just, you know, I shouldn't be teaching kids. I shouldn't be helping people when I, when I've got these problems. Well, guess what? They got them too. They're just not telling you about it. All right. It may be just a different stage of life, but don't stop worshiping. Don't stop uh, pouring into other people's lives. Don't stop praying. And don't believe the lie that this cannot be redeemed, that God cannot redeem this. Now, let me give you some things to do. What you do want to pray and what you do want to do is acknowledge there's something wrong. Every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody and they say, I think my son or daughter's on drugs. I said, well, have you talked to him about it? No, I'm kind of scared to say anything. Say something. (laughs) Say something. They're in your house. Say something. You find, uh, it's, you say, well, I found, I found some stuff in the room and I'm not supposed to go in the room. It's your house. Drugs are illegal. They brought illegal. You're, the, you're responsible. You do know that. All right? So we need to get over this whole, I understand, I understand respecting privacy, but we're talking about what's best. There are some higher moral values and there's some higher parenting virtues other than privacy. All right? I hope you got some of that, but God ain't going to ask you one day when you get to heaven. Were you very private? Did you give your? Did you keep let your kids stay in a room with the doors locked? God will never ask you that question. All right. Saturate your mind with the Word of God. Connect with other believers who have access to them and encourage them to reach out to them. Listen more than you rebuke. Be unified with your spouse and your family. And I realize sometimes you got family working against you. Call them all together and say, "Hey, we got to be unified together here." Uh, get personal counsel yourselves. Set boundaries. Okay, here's a boundary. I was talking to someone this week. Here's a boundary. Got got a loved one. Keeps making mistakes. Keep won't get clean. Keeps wants money. Needs help. So here here's the boundary. I want to help you. Here's what I do. I will drive you to the men and Nehemiah. I will pay whatever I need to to get you started. All right. And like again, if they're not ready, 
They're not going to last a day. All right? There are other great programs too, but I am just saying you've got to draw some boundaries and then exercise tough love or it will keep repeating itself. Write them a letter and tell them how much you love and what you want from them. Get somebody to review it so that you don't say a lot of stupid stuff and they make copies of it and send it to all your friends and family. All right? Remember, God loves your prodigal more than you. Believe that God will redeem this situation and point them to Jesus. Now, I want, I want you to hear some real-life testimonies, and I want you to hear some amazing answers to prayer. And uh, so, Colonel, I want to turn it back over to you at this time. Amen. I'll say good morning, uh, Rock Point. Thank you guys so much for your prayers, your support. Um, I'll go quiet in here today. Thank you, Sarge. Hey! All right, I like noise. I got to have some noise going on. I love being here. I told someone I feel like I'm at, I didn't come here enough to be at home. So I feel the love in this, in, in this house, and I thank God for you. Um, the one thing I learned, I said the three things that are imperative, and Pastor did uh, this amazing series, and, and we're here today on prayer. My parents never got a chance to see me clean and see me operating in, in, in the fullness or in my purpose that God intended. And there's a guy that comes down, uh, talked to us a few Tuesday nights ago, uh, Jim Dem- Dennison, and he said that uh, God redeems everything he allows. Starting the men of Nehemiah has given my life purpose. And... Um, I thank God for it. And I just happen to be an authority. <laughs> uh, because uh, the Bible said that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he knew us before we were in the womb, so uh, he doesn't waste anything. He knows the end of the book. And my parents never, ever, ever stopped believing. They couldn't enable they let me go and they gave me to God, but they never stopped believing. The Bible said that love hopeth all things. It believeth all things. It doesn't keep an account. I couldn't go home. <laughs> but they never stopped praying for me. And the first principle of the men of Nehemiah says, we believe that every man must face the truth with the understanding that truthfulness is the foundation. When I can see what I've allowed by yielding the various things, what happened, I call that the pig pen. The Bible said he came to himself. I never forget that day. The cry out, the wet tears, the hot tears on the cheek. The night before, I made a decision to stop. I like to sing, give me a little bit of, thank you, Lord. Because God lives in his praises. We are hands to our side. God lives in the praises. God continued. He stayed the hand of death. He didn't allow me to die out there. <laughs> you better believe it. Because see, drug addiction is insidious. It's an evil. It wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And there's no more vivid evidence of it. It is the leprosy of the day. Somewhere they say a grateful addict, a grateful person will never go backwards. 
It is exactly the way that God wants it to be today. Because of what the goodness of God. That's what's going to change this country when the body of Christ and the unity in the body of Christ. Jesus' last prayer in the 17th chapter of St. John, he said, I want the body of Christ to be one. Just as me and the Father one. That's where the answers are. In unity. Because we are Christ. We are Christ. In 2015, I thank God for you, Pastor. Black, white, everything. South, North, it don't matter. Believers, the united body of Christ. That's the answer to everything you see on Fox and CNN and everything. This is the answer. Believe that. Believe that. Hallelujah. Make Away. But that's where it is. That's where it is. I live that. We live that every day. I want to um I want Sierra to come up. Hi. <laughs> um I'm Sierra, and this is my dad. And I'm here to talk about um, my dad's recovery and my testimony and how I felt when he was in the program. And, okay, I'm nervous. (laughs) And I remember when I first came from Oregon to Texas, I remember I was so happy. I was like, I never want to lose my dad. I love him so much. He's my hero. And I always called him my hero. And I didn't know that I was going to lose him, but for the better. And I remember I was sitting down, and I just heard him and my grandma arguing. And I was like, oh, okay, they're arguing. And they were arguing and arguing. And that's when I realized that, like, my dad, he has a problem, because usually he wouldn't argue with my grandma. He's very respectful. And I just remember the feeling I got, because... My dad, he was my hero. And I remember coming down and I remember seeing like a change in him. And he would get angry. He would yell at me and I would pray. I would ask God, why is he getting so mad at me? What did I do? And I remember asking my grandma, Grandma, why do I keep on making my dad so upset? She was like, it's not you. He just needs help. And they were arguing that day. And she told me to go in the closet. And she told me that he had to leave. He couldn't take me. And I was so sad because I loved him so much. And I didn't want him to leave. But then he called me like three days later. And he was like, I'm at Nehemiah. I'm like, what is Nehemiah? (laughs) We were like, oh, it's for drugs, and I'm going to get better, and I promise I'm going to see you. And I just remember feeling so sad and hurt, and I would pray every day, please, Lord, just let my dad get better. I really want to see him. And I was starting my first year of sixth grade, going into middle school, and I was like, dang, I wish I could see him. I wish that he could be here for me. And it really it hurt my feelings that he wasn't here 
but I know it was for the better. And as he was in Nehemiah, I think he was getting better. And I felt so happy when I seen him on stage one time. He was singing. I was like, that's my dad. (laughs) (laughs) And he graduated, and I seen that. He was like, oh, we're moving. I was like, moving out of grandma's house? He was like, yeah. I was like, okay. So we moved, and he's just been better, and I just love him so much, and I'm so proud of him that he made it and that my mom, she's not around, and he's like my mom and my dad. He's my mom, dad. (laughs) (laughs) And this is my dad now, and I'm just so proud of him. Amen. They just moved again. Great apartment. How long you been working for Dallas? Almost two years working for the graduated, working for the city of Dallas. That's what it's all about. Um, A mom, dad. I love that. I love that. I love that. All right, let's get another testimony. And you're going to come again, uh, uh, Brittany. Uh, I think that's uh, correct. I mean, hold on. Hi, my name is Brittany, and this is my husband, Lee, and this is the man that God gave me. And I'm grateful for this man. Uh, we met in 2008. We can argue about it. We'll talk about it later. But right now... <laughs> August 26th, praise God, we started dating. <laughs> 2008. We got married in 2012. I know that date. It was the 21st day of April. I'm really, I'm really horrible with dates. But God gave me this man, and I vowed to honor him no matter what. And through the trials and tribulations that come with a wife, you carry their burdens. And through my husband's addiction... I became the liar, and I became the thief, and I became the man that cheated on his wife because I didn't want anybody to know that. I didn't want anybody to know that my husband was broken because as a wife, you carry the burdens of your husband so they can be that man of God, that stronghold, that strong tower. The head, not the tail. And so, the trials that we went through, the storms that we went through with my children, are all worth it because God has brought him to a place where he's at now. Through prayer and supplication. I remember praying for my husband. God, just fix him for me. Fix them for the babies because they need them. God said, you're not praying the right thing. You're being selfish. Give them to me. Give them to me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. And at that point, when I asked God, please help me. 
help me give him to you. That was when God took him from me. And he brought him to a place where he was able to surrender himself to God. And I think the relationship that I have with God, because if I didn't have the relationship that I had with God, I wouldn't have made it. The men in Nehemiah, my husband has been so blessed to be able to have this opportunity to come and be with these men and Colonel Rose and Lewis and everybody else that is there that loves on him. The breaking of a man is a preparation of what greatness God is going to be. And I just want to thank you for listening to me because sometimes you just need to be heard, right? <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. And I want to, um, I love that Pastor talked about uh, you guys, you men here. You know, it, it takes men to teach men how to be men. And I spent a lot of my years in rebelliousness. The Bible said that rebelliousness is as the spirit of witchcraft. And uh, with rebelliousness, you don't get to say what's going to happen next. It's almost just like witchcraft. And so drugs uh, lead you down that road. But I do want to echo what Pastor said. Um, even today, I think we're going to eat, hang out with some of these guys. Um, a guy, we were talking, and he talked about, uh, I'm going to beat up on him, talked about losing your salvation. You know, the once save, always save argument. And I told him, we've been having that argument for 100 years, but I can tell you what I do know, that when a man has an experience or an encounter with Jesus Christ, his life is never the same. And men serve men. Men take authority of their of their surroundings. So in our neighborhoods in South Dallas, if it's paper, we're supposed to be picking it up. If it's grass, we're supposed to be cutting it. If it's dope being sold, we're supposed to say no dope being sold here. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, wherever you go, you have authority and you have power. And either the Bible is true or it is not true. There is no middle ground, uh, Mr. Grass. I want, I want Ms. Garrett to come up and give us a short uh, testimony. Thank you for inviting us. I have a little something that I, I want to read. This is from Psalms 23, uh, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Sheep are difficult animals to care for. They are totally dependent on the shepherd for food, guidance, and protection. Even at night, someone has to watch over the sleeping sheep in case predators attack or something else frightens them and they panic. In the chaos, lambs can be badly hurt and adult sheep injured. The work of a good shepherd never ends. And I think that that's what we are. Anyway, me as a mother... 
always is protecting uh, my children, always there for them in case they need something, always there to guide them, always there to see that they do things correctly when you give them chores, things like that. But my cheap, cheap, you know, went another direction. And, you know, it's when they're children, they're, it's peer pressure in schools. They say, oh, look, guy, I got whatever. Okay. They don't know any better. And they try it. Anyway, so my son got addicted very early. Did not know about that. I didn't know how possibly that could have happened without me, you know, watching. And I thought everything that he was doing in school was say okay. But no. When the first time that he almost overdosed, that's when we said, okay, something is really big going on. Something big. But, you know, he, we went through the, through the process Went through many, many places, counselors, psychiatrists, drugs, more drugs. Um, and, and he would be right back. So then the rehabs came in. The rehab came in one by one after another after another until they leave you broke. They don't, you lose, you know, you don't have money because you're always, you know, giving, giving him a chance to live. And that was all we wanted him and his, him and his, his dad and I always wanted that. We don't want this child to die. We don't want him to just forget about him. Let him out. You know, throw him to the streets. That's not what I had this child for. I love my child. I love my son from the moment that he was born. I said, I, I will be here for you. I will guide you. I will protect you. I'll show you. I'll show you the best that I, that I can as a mother. And um, 2008, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. He was very active in his addiction. So I said, okay, it's me and him. <laughs> you know, it's my child and it's me. But you know what? I was more concerned about him than me. I said, I will give my life to you. I will trade places, God. I will... You know, trade places with my son so because he needs to live. And um, while I was going through all of the chemo, all of this, he was active. He was in the addiction. I, 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 I don't know how I made it because I was in another mindset. I was not thinking about me. I would go to my treatments, take four or five hours of treatment. Okay. But he was always right there, right here. He was always on my mind. He was always there. He, you know, the fact that I don't, wouldn't know what to, to expect from day to day. I didn't know whether one day, I, you know, he would come home or not, or one day, I'd find him dead somewhere or someone would give him poison, add more to it. 
I don't, you know, I, a lot of these things came. I, I would get up in the middle of the night, two, three o'clock in the morning, and look for him. And I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel no pain, nothing. The, 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 what do you call it? The effects of the chemo, they're there, but out of sight, out of mind, because my mind was on him all the time. And I told my husband, if I don't make it, take care of him. Make sure that he gets a chance because he deserves a better life. I've had one. I've had a good life. But if I don't make it in this journey right now, save him. Save my son. <sighs> my husband promised. He said, oh, that's a promise. But anyway, thank God I am here. Because of God, I w- I surrendered my child to him. The moment that I surrendered my son to Jesus Christ was when it started to happen. I said, God, don't do it for me. Do it for my child. Do it for him. Um, so after a while after that, Men of Nehemiah came up in the picture, didn't know who it was, didn't know how, how that came about, but it led us there. And it was the hardest thing for me to do is to let go of my son. It was just hard. But, you know, I had to step back and tell the Lord, he is your child. You have to save him, God. Whatever it takes, whatever we got to do, whatever we have to come up with, whatever it is. I thank God. I really thank God because no one else did this. No one else could have possibly done this. My son is, believes in God like you wouldn't. No, he knows that there is a God that does perform, that does do miracles, that does do his will. And um, I'm so proud of him. Uh, He's been sober two and a half years. He's, He's accomplished. He's accomplished, finished in high school, which is one of my things that I said. You know, he's, he's, he's done so many things. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Colonel Lewis, um, Colonel Rose, um, my sisters right here, the women of Nehemiah that have helped me through all of this. Thank you. Man, you're a mama's boy. <laughs> I do want to say this because I got a lot of, uh, um, this, is a, this isn't everyone from the men in Nehemiah, but I want to thank God for these men in the white shirts. Yeah. Um, they, these guys are, are working, they're gainfully employed, giving back to society, giving back to the community. Some of these guys are instrumental in, in the alternative high schools, leading Bible studies, I don't see Ladarius, yeah, 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 yeah. Everything that God made serves everything that God made. That's how you know you connected. Because you get purpose out of all that pain. 
So I want to thank all you graduates that drove and that are, that are traveling with us today in these white shirts. Um, thank God for you. <laughs> Lastly, I want to say this. Check this out. At the end of the scripture, Pastor, it said that once the kid came home, right? <laughs> Daddy threw a party. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And uh, we want to give you the opportunity uh, to be a part of this. So uh, obviously, we've talked about that from a business perspective. We've talked about uh, mentoring uh, and whatever skill you have, we'd like to know about it, if it's something you can employ or assist with. But also, you can help financially. So if you want to give today toward the men of me and mine, you can write a check out to Rock Point, and we'll make sure every penny of that gets there. If you want to put an envelope and mark it that way, you can do that. And so we invite you to be a part of that.